0: Thank you, MG. It's easy to have good study away programs when we have good students like you. So thanks for, thanks for being on the trip. So thanks for letting me be here tonight. It's always a privilege and honor to come and, and speak to you all. And I figured it's usually good to talk about something that I've been thinking about. Right, and not just something that I came up with two minutes ago, which could do, but that'd be bad. Right? So something I've been thinking about the last several weeks, and it has to do with a lot with classes that I've been teaching. So it kind of touches every class I've been teaching. I'm teaching a first-year writing seminar in C.S. Lewis, teaching the intro New Testament and a class called Jesus and the Gospels. And so I'm actually going to mention all three of those tonight because of the things that we've been talking about and kind of rattling around in my head a little bit. Right? So I want to start with the first-year writing seminar. Uh, We've been reading Screwtape Letters most recently, and I'm just going to explain that book for those of you who um, maybe have heard of it but don't know what it is. So Screwtape is a senior devil writing words of advice to a junior devil about how to best tempt the patient, right? So Wormwood is the the junior devil, and he's supposed to tempt the patient to do all sorts of things that... um, he probably shouldn't do. And it's nothing sinister. It's all this little stuff like being distracted and getting irritated with people. And it's all like, it's little stuff, but it's ways in which we can take our eyes off of Jesus and uh, begin to look around us, get distracted, think of other things. Okay, that's the premise of the book. And uh, we finished the book. I had my students write their own screw tape letter. So to think about if you were (laughs) you got to put yourself in the, in the, in the mindset of a devil, okay? Um, which Lewis said was actually too easy to do. Um, That's what C.S. Lewis said. Because uh, he, he could get in the mind of a devil. He could not, he got, could not get in the mind of an angel. Because he had no experience of being an angel, but he had plenty of experience doing things he shouldn't do. So he had lots of experience in that, in that realm, he would say. So in any case, I had my students write a, write a letter, basically from a senior devil to a junior devil, on how to tempt a college student. Uh, what are some th- and so what are some things that would distract, that would take your mind off of, um, off of Jesus or about following Jesus or, or anything really, right? What are ways we, we distract ourselves? What are ways that we tell ourselves lies? Those kinds of things. And I got to read the letters last weekend, over this past weekend, and they were like really good, really insightful, and also nothing that I didn't really expect. Um, because I was a teenager at some point, like a long time ago now. I was in college a long time ago. I have three teenage daughters. Um, I lead a 10th grade boys uh, study at my church. Right? So like, I'm around high schoolers. I'm around college students. Um, but I want to tell you some of the general themes. And I have a hunch that all of you will be able to see yourself in at least one of these things. So comparison. Like how strong can comparison be, right? You compare yourself to someone else and you end up looking small. You end up looking weak. You end up looking not the way you want, right? So the, the temptation to compare ourselves with others. Um, students talked about body image issues. They talked about anxiety. Um, they talked about feeling shame. Those kinds of things, right? And I think if you're honest, probably all of you have felt some one of those things in the last couple of years and if you're really honest probably in the last couple of weeks it's my guess Um, and it resonated with me as well because i feel those things too so i'm going to give you two examples from when i was in high school and college um, that still are with me some today but they're not they don't i don't feel them as strongly and one of them is i mean if you look at my physique i'm pretty thin i was very thin in high school in fact, a, um, a nurse once told me that I should be dead. Because she did do they still do skin fold tests? Right, so they had us, what they had us do, now they do like BMI, it's a different kind of thing. She had this little measuring thing, she grabbed the skin on the back of my arm, shook my arm, measured the skin fat back there, looked at me, shook it again, took it again. She goes, you should be dead. Because my, my, uh, I had such little skin fat, right? I like guess I was, was rail thin. And I know that females, by and large, like being thin. It's a good, but guys don't really like being thin very much. At least I hated it because I looked around and everyone else was a lot stronger. Um, um, I could lift a lot more. I went to the weight room the first time. I couldn't even lift the bar. It's pretty pretty embarrassing, <laughs> right? I hated being thin. Right? That was a source of real insecurity for me growing up. Um, I also hated speaking in front of people, which is odd because that's what I do now. But I still don't like it, right? This is not something that I would choose to do. Um, but in college, I remember that I wanted to be a high school history teacher, or so I thought. And so I took all the education courses, took the history courses, met the guy I was supposed to student teach for in my senior year of high school, or senior year of college, and then dropped out of education. because so I was terrified of being in front of people, terrified. I don't know if you've felt that before, but I can still like taste that fear. Can you taste fear sometimes? Like, I, I can still actually taste that fear sometimes when I have to get in front of other people. It's not a fun feeling, right? So all that to say, when I read these letters from my students, it resonated with me, right? Because I think we all can put ourselves in those shoes, that we can feel insecure, that we can be anxious, that we can feel shame, that we, when we compare each other Compare ourselves with other people. We tend to come off um, Not looking as good in our own eyes at least and What do you do when you feel those insecurities? Like what do you what do you do? So one thing that people do and it's helpful is what I would call the power of positive thinking and so You have confidence in yourself you tell yourself that you're good enough, that you're smart enough. Dog on it, people are going to like you. Those kinds of things, right? And I think that that can be pretty powerful, right? It does help. It does help to think of to change how we think of ourselves. Um, I'll give you an example. So I'm an introvert. Uh, I just I prefer not being in front of people. <laughs> um, I I just. I just get, I do, I get drained by being in front of people. I don't hate it. Right? I, I get drained by it. I get energy by being by myself for a while. And when I come into certain social situations, I did not have to do it tonight, but when I come into certain social situations, I have to say to myself, I'm an extrovert, I'm an extrovert, I'm an extrovert, <laughs> right, before I walk in, because I know that I have to talk to people, and I have to like, pump myself up to do it, right? because it's not natural to me. If I'm in a big room with people, I prefer to like, be on the side, just kind of listen, Listen in, right? So I know there's something that's like you can convince yourself of things, right? You can believe in yourself. Like that is powerful stuff. But I think if you were to take like the long view, if you were to kind of step, step back and say, is that sustainable? I'm not so sure it's sustainable to always kind of be pumping yourself up and to always saying, I have to believe in myself, I have to be confident, All right? Which brings me to some other classes that I've been teaching. So especially my Inter New Testament, but also my Jesus in the Gospels class. I began to think over the last week or two, is there anywhere in the Bible that I can think of where I'm told to believe in myself and be confident in myself? And I can't think of anywhere where we're told to believe in ourselves or be confident in ourselves. What I can think of are things that Jesus says and things that Paul said. Things like deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You've got to crucify yourself. Like, I, I think of those kinds of things, right? Very different kind of things. So while I think, I don't want to downplay this, like, positive thinking idea. Like, there's something to it. It is important. But I think it's not sustainable over the long run. And so I wanted to walk you through a little bit of what I've been talking to my inter-New Testament students about. So those of you who are in this room, who are in my New Testament class, who have a test tomorrow, This is like a review. This is perfect, right? (laughs) This is perfect. So we've been talking about Romans. That's one of the letters that we've been talking about in my my class. And I'm going to give you a chapter, and I'm going to give you just like one or two things in each chapter that I just wanted to highlight, okay? So in Romans 3 and 4, Paul will use language that he he talks about. Righteousness by faith. That when you become a follower of Jesus, a synonym for that is you're righteous by faith. You become right with God. And how do you do that? Through faith in what God has done. You become right with God. That's a big deal. It's a really big deal. In chapter 5, he says that we were enemies with God, but now we've been brought near because of what Jesus has done. We're made right with God. We're now at peace with God. Right? Okay? In Romans 5, he'll use different language. Instead of using righteousness by faith language, he will use in Christ language. So, he will say, everyone is in one of two camps. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. In Adam means you're unrighteous. In Christ, you are righteous. There's something that has changed in a person who has put their faith in Jesus. They move from unrighteousness to righteousness. They move from being in Adam to in Christ. And what that means is Everything that was true of Adam, his disobedience, the way he sinned, the way he fell, all that is true of all of us. But some of us, whoever, want, whoever believes in Jesus can become in Christ. And what that means is that everything that's true of Jesus can become true of you. So the same way, like we're like Adam in lots of ways, we can become like Jesus. And Paul will talk about that as a thing that has happened. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are in Christ. What's true of Jesus will slowly but surely become true of you. Okay, so that's language in chapter 5. Romans 6, he'll use different metaphors. He'll talk about slavery. And now you're either, again, it's like you only got two options. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God or a slave to righteousness. Right? And what he's saying is all of us have this tendency to think that we're free. Like we can do whatever we want. We don't have, we're Americans, we can do whatever we want. And Paul would say, you might be American, but you cannot do whatever you want. You are always a slave to someone or something. You're a slave to sin, which means everything you do is not good. It's not right. Now, that's not to say you can't make good choices if you're not a Christian. You can. But in the end, it's not leading anywhere in particular. Or you can be a slave to righteousness or a slave to God. Ma- you have a new master. Your master is now not sin. Your master is now God. So I'll put all those together again. You're either unrighteous or you're righteous. That's Pauline language. Or you're in Adam or you're in Christ. Or you're a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Like Paul's just kind of laying out these like it's two paths in a sense. All right? I'll give you one more, Romans 8. Paul will talk about the flesh and the spirit. So how, like, by what power do you do things? By what energy do you do things? How do you make the decisions that you make? Well, you can either do it in the flesh, which is in Adam, and unrighteous, enslaved to sin, or you're in the spirit. Because what happens when somebody comes follower of Jesus is they get the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of them. God lives inside of you. That's an amazing thing. It's a truly amazing thing. And if that's true of you, then here's one more thing that he'll say and then I'll stop giving you a review of Romans. Okay? Paul will say that you're adopted into God's family, that you are now part of God's family. You have a new family. It's not that you don't have your old family, but you're brought into something new. You become part of something much bigger than yourself. I had a friend once, his name was Eric Tanis, who when he was growing up, they adopted a, um, he got a new brother. They adopted uh, a boy and so he had a new brother. And when that boy, I don't remember his name. But when he came and lived, started living with them, every time they put a plate of food in front of him, he would gobble up as fast as he could. Because in the orphanage he came from, if you didn't eat that fast, someone else was going to steal it from you. And he had to learn what it was to be a Tannus, to be part of the Tannus family. Right? There are certain things that are true of Tannusism. You don't, you don't have to eat your food that fast. You are now part of the family. It's yours. You could leave it for hours and come back. It's still yours right? Because he truly became part of their family. He was adopted into their family, right? That adoption language is also powerful, right? That you are adopted into a family that is not yours, but it becomes yours where God is at the head of the family and all other believers are part of that family too, right? That's powerful language. And I can still remember, I'm telling you this, all this for a reason. I can still remember my sophomore year of college when I began to realize these things for the first time. Like, I'd been a Christian for a long time. For as long as I could remember, I'd been a Christian. But there are certain moments in your life when things dawn on you in a new way. You start to see things differently. And for me, my sophomore year in college was one of those years. It wasn't just one moment, it was a period of months where I began to think, huh, I'm really insecure. I don't like how I look. I hate being in front of people. Like I, I, Those were my insecurities. Other people have different insecurities. Right? But there was parts of me that I really didn't like. And I began to realize that if I really am in Christ, and if I really am now righteous because of faith in what God has done, if I really am adopted into, into God's family, then it's not that those insecurities vanish, but they became less important to me. I didn't care about them quite as much. I could relax. I could rest. I didn't have to prove myself. I don't have to do any of that anymore, right? Because I finally felt accepted. That was part of it, right? I felt accepted for who I was. And it wasn't anything that I'd done. I realized what God had done for me. That's what I realized. Now I'd read stories. I'd read the Bible before. I'd read the letter to the Romans before. But it kind of hit me in a new way. And I began to actually not just read the words, but actually believe the words. That if I really am part of God's family, if I really am adopted, if I really am someone who the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, then that should change who I am. That should change how I live. It should change how I view myself, right? And so I began to not focus on the insecurities I began to focus on who God was and what God had made me. And that made a world of difference for me. I mean, I wish I could tell you the insecurities vanished. They didn't. They're still there, right? Um, but there is a way in which, for me, not just reading the Bible, but actually believing it, made a huge difference in how I lived, right? Um, and I would say that our insecurities are they are things that we try and compensate for. There are ways in which I think we try and earn people's trust or earn people's favor, get them to like us by doing certain things, right? Because we're insecure about something, so we hide it, we cover it, and we like deflect, we do something different. We want people to see us in a certain way. We don't want them to see us for who we really are. That's sometimes how we feel, I think. And I think that that, that idea is also how some of us, I think, think of our spiritual life how we don't want God to see certain things, and we try and show God other things, or we try and earn God's favor, or we try and earn God's trust. And there was something so freeing and so relaxing for me, realizing I didn't have to do that because I was accepted for who I was, right? That acceptance was very freeing for me. Now, I don't imagine that everyone in the room is like connecting with what I'm saying, it's fine. But I hope that a few of you are. Right? I hope that a few of you have gotten to the point where you think I need some help. I actually need to believe the things that the New Testament says about me. Believe the things that God says are true of me. Here's an example. I used to think of myself and I still do, right? So I'm This is going to make me sound like prideful. I'm not trying to be prideful, okay? I used to think of myself as a sinner. That's I was just that's who I am. I'm a sinner. That's what I do. And if I think of myself in that way, then what choice do I have other than to sin? Right? If that, I'll just think, this is who I am. In the end, if trying to resist temptation, I resist temptation, and then I'm like, forget it. I'm a sinner anyway. I'm just going to this, give in to this temptation. But the New Testament doesn't often call us sinners. It does sometimes. But it, almost as many times as it calls us sinners, it calls Christians saints. Right? Because God has done a work in them. God has changed them. God has made them something new. And I began to see if I see myself as a saint, as someone who's holy, because God has made me holy. That doesn't mean I'm always perfect. I'm a saint who sometimes sins, not a sinner, and that's all I ever can do. Does that, make, does that difference make sense to you? Understand, like that was one of those little things that I'm like, oh, I now get it, right? Because God has done something in me, God has changed me, I am now a saint who sometimes sins, not just a sinner who can do nothing else but sin. Because I actually trusted that God had done something for me. God had done something in me. And it gave me the ability to resist sin. Because I thought of it, I think I started to see myself the way that God sees me. Now, we all are sinners. We all sin. But if you only think of yourself like that, what options do you have other than to sin? Right? But if you start to believe things like you're adopted into God's family, that the Holy Spirit lives in you, that you're now a saint who sometimes sins, not a sinner who always sins, makes a difference, right? And for me, that difference was just trusting what God had done, trusting what God had done in me and for me. All right, a couple final comments. Um, I know that situations in our lives can be very hard sometimes. Sometimes it's more than just insecurity. Sometimes bad things happen. Sometimes we just get in a rut. We can't, we can't get out of it. We can't mentally get out of it. Those things are real, and they're strong. We can be very hard on ourselves. And I found that in my life, I have to remind myself of things. I don't always have to learn new things. What I really have to do is remind myself of things, things that I know are true, but that are just hard to remember. So I'm just going to repeat some of the things I've already said. These are the kind of things that I tell myself sometimes. And this isn't isn't just like power of positive thinking. This is like, no, God has actually done something in me. I have to remember that he's done something in me. So if you're a Christian, God has not left you alone. He's not left you alone. He's adopted you into his family. That means every other Christian in this room is part of your family, right? And what do family members, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to love you and accept you for who you are. They're supposed to support you. They're supposed to encourage you. They're supposed to be with you in the good and the bad. We're not great at this sometimes. But think about that, right? If you really are a family, if you're really really part of God's family, that's who you are to each other, right? You need to be encouraging each other other in uh, in your Christian walk, in your Christian faith. Here's something else I have to remind myself, that God has given me a new name. I haven't said this before. This is in the book of Revelation. Um, One of the promises that's held out to those who overcome or to those who are faithful all the way to the end. Um, The author of Revelation will tell us that Jesus will give us a new name that only he knows that's specific for us. So my name is Tim. But that name does not encapsulate who I am. That's just how you know me. Most of you know me by Dr. Wardle, right? My daughter who's over here with me, she knows me by dad, right? I go by different names. But that's not who I really am, right? None of those words, Dr. Wardle, Tim, Dad, actually encapsulate who I am, right? Who I am deep down. But Jesus knows. And in the end, we're told we're going to hear that name. We're going to get a rock, actually a white stone that's going to have a name on it. At least that's the metaphor that we're given. All that to say, God has changed you. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself and he accepts you and he offers something to you. He offers you your real name to know who you really are, right? So that's another thing that I have to remind myself of. I have to remind myself that I've been given the Holy Spirit, that I'm not left alone in this world, that even though it feels like sometimes the struggle in life is real, it is real. I have to remind myself that I'm not left alone, that God has put Himself inside me to help, to help me think well, to help me live well, to help me obey well, all those things, right? And part of that, I think, is allowing the Spirit to work in us, right? To open yourself up to say, I can't always do this, but I know that you can. I know that God can, or the Holy Spirit through me can, right? Um, I think that's important. So I've got, I guess, three, three closing short comments, okay? So to those of you who struggle with feelings of inadequacy, with comparison, with guilt, shame, those kinds of things, which I'm gonna go ahead and guess is almost all of you, probably all of you at some point in your life, right? One, I think there are moments in life where you just have to tell yourself that you're good enough, right? That is true, that's powerful. There's power of positive thinking. But I think there are also ways in which just telling yourself you're good enough, believing in yourself is, is not gonna be enough. In the end, I mean, it works for a while. But in the end, I think we need to let go of the illusion of control and just trust and the God is in control anyway, right? We think we're in control. We're not. God is in control, and we need to remind ourselves of that. And we have to maybe say things to ourselves like, not only are you are God, but are you also my Lord? You're my master. You're my savior, right? You're the one that I need, right? It's not what, I'm, maybe if I'm praying, I should pray not to do what I want, but to, but to pray that I'll do what God wants me to do. I mean, all sorts of this is just taking your eyes off of yourself and putting your eyes on Jesus, right? Self-reliance, self-confidence, self-worth. All these words mean that I'm the center, right? And there's a way in which we need to stop looking at ourselves and look at Jesus. And here's the third thing, then. I think when you do that, paradoxically, when you kind of lose yourself and say, I'm not worried about myself, I'm going to focus on Jesus, there's a way in which you can really find yourself. I think you become who you really are, become who you really were supposed to be, who you were created to be, right? The person that God made you. But when we, we can only get to there, I think, when we stop trying to be in control and give God control. Say, I can't do this, but you can. And I think we get our lives back in a sense, right? Because we're not trying to do things for ourselves. Um, we're we are living for different reasons, and all of a sudden we actually become alive in new ways. I hope that makes some sense. Um, I'm going to leave you with two verses from the Old Testament that I really like. And they have to do with getting outside of myself. Right? Getting outside of myself and, and thinking, in, in theory at least, the way that God thinks. Right? So one of them is Jeremiah 6.16. And one of the things that Jeremiah says here is he says, Thus says the Lord, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies. And walk in it and find rest for your souls. This idea of getting beyond myself getting to a place where I have to ask, ask where the good ways are, ask for the ancient paths, and God will show me. Might not show me right now, might not show me in a week, but at some point I know he will, right? But it's a way of getting outside of myself and asking God for guidance, God, asking God for help. So asking for the ancient paths where the good way lies, and then not just to ask for it, but then to walk in it, right, that's Jeremiah 6. And then Isaiah 30, 21, Isaiah says, and when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Right? There's, a, there's a sense that we need to be shown the way. But once we're shown that, we need to walk in it. We need to do it. I right? think that what it's, that's what it means to be a Christian. Um, to be shown the way, then to walk in it. All right. I don't know what happens next. But thank you for listening. And uh, I'll let whoever needs to come up uh, come on up. Thanks for thanks for being here.